listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is a show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 271. What's up, Mark? Hey, I don't sound like a dude. <laughs> you feeling better, Paige? Yeah, for the most part. A little itchy, got an old rash, but it's slowly going away, and I don't sound like a dude. Yeah, well, you never sound like a dude, but I will say this much. I want to thank all the listeners that reached out to make sure you were okay. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> it really is. So she's fine. She's back to normal. I'll tell you right now, no COVID virus could take this chick down. <laughs> I'm not going to challenge that. Anyway, looks like we got reviews. Five-star review from New and Loving It. Hi, Oil and Gas This Week team. I wanted to say that I really appreciate all of the effort you put into your shows. I genuinely look forward to your podcast every other week. That's fair. <laughs> Listening to you both has done a lot to challenge and change previous misconceptions I had about the industry. That's exactly what we're trying to do here. 100%. So thanks to Connor MM for the, re- the review. And if you want to leave a review, we'll read it on the air. Absolutely. And if you have suggestions for the show, let us know. We'll warn you now, though, that if you do a childish job of trolling me, I'm going to call you out on it. If you do a good job of trolling us, I'll still read on the air, but I won't call you out on it. Okay, that's fair. Okay, let's get into some news stories. All right, so first one, we've got a fact check. False claim that the Permian Basin oil supply would fuel America for 200 years. Okay, so this is an article on MSN, and basically what they're saying is that there's been a bunch of talk on social media that the Permian has enough oil to fuel America for the next 200 years, which I've seen that all over Facebook and Twitter myself. That's been shared all over the place. Well, so this article, which is basing its data on the U.S. Geological Survey, saying that this is not true, that the Permian cannot power the U.S. for the next 200 years because it only has 66 billion barrels of oil. So people, let me break this down for you. This is one of the things that when you read it, it seems like it's based on facts from the U.S. Geological Survey that it makes total sense and that somebody wasn't telling the truth about the Permian being able to power the U.S. for the next 200 years. A couple of things. So what the U.S. Geological Survey and their assessment says or does is figure out how many recoverable barrels of oil are there. Right? Uh-huh. That is a legal term. That means to the best of scientific knowledge, how much oil can you get out the ground today? Okay. Now, the oil that's in the Permian is tight shale oil. Right, right. Commonly extracted using fracking. Right now, the best operators, and I mean like the best operators in the world, can get fifteen percent of the oil out the ground. The bad operators get nine to ten percent of the oil out the ground. Right. That leaves anywhere from eighty-five to eighty-seven percent of that oil in the ground. That is not considered recoverable oil, so it doesn't meet the criteria. Myself and most experts in the future believe that as we move through time, we will have new methods to be able to tap it all and pull it out. So this article is a perfect example how you can take data and misread it and show a convincing argument how something is true or not true, but they have no understanding of how the industry actually works or or even what recoverable barrels of oil even mean. Mm -hmm. So this article itself is false. If you do the math, we burn about 20 million barrels a day here in the U.S., and you look at if only 66 million barrels is only you know 9 to 15% of the oil. If you do the math, it's pretty close to 200 years of fuel supply for the U.S. So shame on you, MSN, for either one, not understanding what you're talking about, or number two, trying to intentionally mislead people. Mark's got a squeaky chair, y'all. <laughs> so get prepared. <laughs> 
All right. So the next one is White House issues notice of sale for 20 million barrels of oil from the SPR. Yeah. So if you listen to the show for any length of time, my biggest problem with this is the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is designed as a fail safe for a military. It is dangerously low. I mean, dangerously low. And then if you read this news article, it's our current administration talking about how the price of gasoline is going down because of these releases from the SPR and the current administration is doing everything it can to reduce the price of gasoline. And this is showing that the price of gasoline is going down because of this release. Number one, it's not true. The price of gasoline is going to go down anyway, or is going down anyway, regardless. Number two, Paige, the world uses about 90 million barrels of oil a day. Okay. Figure it out. 90 million barrels a day times 30 days. And they're releasing 20 million barrels right here in that month. It's a drop in the bucket. It doesn't even make a difference. And I Aren't surely, they selling some of it too? Well, so no, they're absolutely they're not donating. They're absolutely selling it, but they're selling it for what oil is going for right now. They're actually offered a discount, so they hurry up and pull it off the market. But what I don't see anywhere, and I've done a lot of research, is nobody in our current administration has a plan on how to fill the strategic petroleum reserve back up. And it needs to be filled back up. This is an issue in many ways. One is, you know what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, right? right? You know what's going on with the hostilities with us and China over Taiwan. Do you want to guess who bought 17 million barrels of that 20 million barrels of China. oil that sold China, right? So as an American, what are y'all doing? Like This, this is, is supposed to be ours. Yeah. We're not supposed to be sharing it. It's supposed, I mean, it says it in the title of what the reserve is. It's strategic. Yeah. And it's this is a, number one, it's a PR campaign to make the U.S. public think that our current administration is helping the price at the pump. It's not. It's common market drivers that's helping the price. And unfortunately, people I hate to tell you this, it's going to go back up the price of the pump. And then the other thing is they want to encourage production here in the U.S., one of the ways you encourage production is let the price creep up high enough so that the people, that the operators that produce make more money, right? And they go in production. This is artificially for a very short amount of time keeping the price low, not of gasoline people, but of crude oil. So it just it shows the clear misunderstanding of basic market dynamics and also the oil and gas industry. This is not good for anybody except for our current administration's you know, we're almost to the Yeah, we're almost to the midterms. That's what this is about. So anyway, I'm going to shut up. Before I cuss a lot. Anyway, so the next one is <laughs> Biden warns of climate threat does not declare emergency. You know, I sort of feel for him and his administration right now. They're caught between a rock and a hard place. On one hand, they campaigned extremely hard about eliminating the oil and gas industry. They campaigned really hard that they were going to subsidize and have more renewables in the mix and that they could keep the oil in the ground because they say it's causing climate change. Yet. The moment the prices went up at the pump, everybody, regardless of what political side you're on, saying something's wrong. And our current administration, and please, people, I'm not trying to make this a political show. It's not. But politics are playing such a big role in oil and gas right now in 2022 that we have to talk about. I hate it. Yeah, I hate it, too. I'd rather not be talking about this. I'd rather be talking about new rigs and technology and new discoveries and wealth and prosperity. But unfortunately, we can't today. So what's happening is. He wants to declare a climate emergency, which will give him basically some executive powers to enact laws that normally Congress would have to pass, right, such as the banning of leasing. But what happens is the people on the renewable side of the house, and which, by the way, people on the renewable side of the house, we're not your enemy. We're not competition. We're your friend. And the same thing that's happened to us the last 10 years in the public eye is going to happen to you. Don't think that it's not. It'll just be something different. I mean, you're already seeing it come back with the cost of recycling windmill blades, with the bird kills. Isn't that all in China? Don't they manufacture all the components and, of and, all those things in China? And China yeah. can cut the market off at a drop of a hat? 
Yeah, and also where does raw materials come from? Right. You know, what's a bigger pack to the environment, drilling oil well or open well, pit And don't you need mine? fossil fuels to make those th- components? Yeah. But back to what's going on with this, there's so much misinformation in here. And you know, they're calling it existential threat, the climate change. And they're doing things which makes no sense. So they're taking a lot of a tax money. Here's a perfect example. They're taking a lot of our tax money and they're using it for incentives for people to install heat pumps. That sounds great. Heat pump sounds much better than an air conditioner, right? Or a natural gas fired heater for your house. And actually it is much better than a natural gas heater for your house. It's not better than an air conditioner. If you don't know what a heat pump is, it's an air conditioner that runs both ways. Oh. Right? So in the summer, it runs one way and pulls heat out of the inside of your house and dumps it outside. In the winter, it runs the other way and pulls heat from the outside and puts it in your house. Okay. A couple problems with that. How long does that compressor run when you have a heat pump? All year long. Number two, it doesn't run on good lucks and unicorn farts. (laughs) It runs on electricity. So if your electricity bill goes up, which it will, all of a sudden it's not as green. It's not as cost effective. Number three, imagine living in North Dakota and you're depending on the compression and then the evaporation of a refrigerant to pull heat from outside of North Dakota, put it in your house. It doesn't work in cold environments. Yeah, that makes sense. You hear none of this. And nothing gets heat pumps in the right mild environment. They're actually really cool, other than the fact that it runs all year long and so your maintenance on it's higher. But what's happened is our president's trying to, at the same time, meet his campaign promises and also realize he has the lowest rating in the history of all presidents, mainly because of what people are paying at the pump and in the grocery store and for housing right now. Yeah, inflation. Yeah, there's no way for them to go. And so- you know, I think actually today or another day or two, they're actually passed a bill. They finally got what's the Virginia's the holdout for the Mashins? Mashins is that his name? Mashins? Machin. Machins. Yeah, I think they finally got him persuaded. for the coal stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So I don't know what's happening in Congress. I don't know what's going on. I do know one hundred percent that this climate threat is being used as a doomsday proposition to try to get people to act a certain way so the right political people can spend money on things they want to spend money on. That's 100% what's happening right now. If you listen to the show for any length of time, you know my view on climate change. I 100% agree that the earth is warming up, but there's, in my mind, actually not my mind, there's zero proof out there that man's activity has sped it up. We're in an interglacial period. Every 10 to 20,000 years, we have an ice age. Well, when you don't have an ice age, the pendulum warms and the earth warms up. And right now we've been about 11,000 years out of ice age. This enormous threat where it's doomsday is not real. Even if I'm wrong and man's activity has sped it up, we're just going to warm up a little bit. But we're headed toward an ice age, another 9,000 years. Right. Yeah. And the effect of CO2 and greenhouse gases on the earth is real. We've known about the effect of CO2 in the atmosphere for since the late 1800s. But the wobble in the Earth's orbit around the sun is a much bigger driver. So, you know, people, if you're listening and you're worried about the Earth burning up overnight, it's not going to happen. Once again, these are the same politicians in the 1970s with the same climate scientists said that the Earth was going to freeze. We're heading another ice age. And they wanted federal funding to spread cold dust on the poles. Look it up. If you're not old enough to remember, look it up. So what our current administration needs to work on right now is lowering the cost of living for the American people, national defense, and making sure we have the world, not just us, not just the U.S., but the world has cheap, reliable, abundant energy. And they're not doing that right now. 
maybe Biden's worried because he got oil cancer. <laughs> this is not this is not a gossip show or opinion no, show. No, it's on video. Yeah. It's on video saying he got cancer because oil was falling from the sky and his mother had to turn on the windshield wipers to wipe the oil off of the windshield. Man, Exxon, have you ever tapped into the oil falling from the sky and spent <laughs> all that money drilling holes in the ground? You're missing the boat. Man, just go to Delaware. <laughs> All right. So next one is offshore wind turbines soon to join rigs in the Gulf of Mexico. So actually, I love this. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a few problems with wind. One is we don't know the effect on the climate yet because when you use wind energy, you actually pull the kinetic energy out of the air. It slows down. So it drops its water load a little bit sooner. We don't know what the effect is yet. We won't know until quantum computing gets much better than we have now. I love the idea of taking space and use it to generate electricity. We do it here in Texas. In fact, California, we're the number one wind generating <laughs> state <laughs> in the country. We do it exceptionally well, but we do it at a profit. It's not subsidized. I love the idea. Now, the thing that bothers me about this page is it's going to be on government land. So the same leases that they would lease out for oil and gas exploration will be the same areas they're going to lease out for wind generation. So as, as long as the rules are in place to make it fair so that companies can compete on it and the government's not handing out contracts to their favorite you know, vendors. Mm. I'm totally cool with this. The other thing is, think how awesome this is for the environment. So a couple of things people you may not know. The Gulf of Mexico has a lack of structure because the water is so fertile and so much sunlight doesn't penetrate very far, so you can't grow coral. So one of the things the oil and gas industry has done oh, for rigs decades is they've taken production rigs, cleaned them up, and with the help of biologists like myself, not that I've ever done that project, but I, I am right. a biologist and I know how it works. They cut them up and they lay them on the ocean floor, and now they have habitat for wildlife. All of a sudden, sponges start growing, corals start growing, little fish, big fish, and all of a sudden you have more life in the Gulf of Mexico. It's great for everybody. Yeah. Great for sport fishermen, commercial fishermen. And, you know, the sharks in the sea that want to snack over something, right? Yeah, I've sent a few of those applications in. It's so cool. <laughs> so with the wind, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to create more structures in the Gulf of Mexico. Then they're going to have to build infrastructure. So you can have cables laid on the ground to connect all these windmills. You can have transforming stations, and you can bring that back shoreside. However, Chevron could tap into that to power its rig instead of having to haul diesel for gen sets. So less chance of spilling you know, diesel in the ocean. Or getting something from another platform. Or, right, right. And so I just, I really do love this that's, idea. That's definitely awesome. So, you know, hats off to our current administration for letting this happen. I do want to make sure it's done fairly, which hopefully there's some oversight over here. And then Boehm's actually the one overseeing this. Yeah. And even though sometimes I have a little bit of beef with what they do, I do know they try to make the best decisions possible to protect both the revenue the companies that depend on the revenue, but also the environment. So the first draft's already been approved. I think they have two more drafts. There's a time for a public weigh in like they always do, but I think this is a fantastic idea. Yeah, absolutely. And Boehm only does what DOI tells them. So anyway, enough with the acronyms. Governments arguing over who should pay for climate change. <laughs> so here's my ironically hypocritical funny comment on this. You want to know where all these diplomats, 40 different diplomats met to talk about who should pay for climate change. You want to know where they met? Germany. Germany. You know why that's hypocritically funny? Because aren't they getting their the pipeline shut off? Well, they There's were the another, first country where the entire population said, we want to move to renewables. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and it was a program called Interwin. And not only did it fail miserably, it failed so bad. And their goal was two things. First thing, to wean themselves off of fossil fuels. Second thing was to reduce their CO2 output by, I think, 25%, right? So not only did they not wean themselves off fossil fuels, their CO2 output went up because they had to build cold fire 
It's not funny. It's not funny, Paige. You can't make this up. It's not funny. They had to build cold fire electrical generation plants to make up for the loss of the natural gas plants that they shut down to try to cover it with solar and wind. So it failed miserably. The cost of electricity in Germany has quadrupled. Actually, probably more than that by now. Holy cow. Germany used to be the center of precision manufacturing. If you wanted the best mechanical watch out there, if you wanted the best knife out there, if you wanted the best transmission in the world, it came from Germany. The reason it came from Germany is they had the labor and the history of doing really good, intricate work. But the only way they could do it was with cheap electricity. Now that electricity is not cheap, all that precision manufacturing business has left <laughs> Germany. So now they have lost uh, the one competitive advantage they have over the world. And to your point, today in 2022, they're frantically trying to get natural gas generators back up. They're building more coal. And geez. diplomats from 40 countries met in that country to decide how the rich companies should have to pay for climate change. That's so dumb. So this whole article is around these groups of people that believe that the wealthier countries, so basically think of Western countries, Europe and the U.S., we should have to pay the poorer companies because of our effect on climate change. So here's the thought. Our last ice age, we had a mini ice age in the 1800s, right? Okay. And when you go before the 1800s, before Industrial Revolution, the impact of human life by climate was severe, right? People died from heat, from cold, from lack of food, from lack of water, right? We have reduced the deaths from climate by 85% by using hydrocarbons, right? Cheap, abundable, reliable energy. Mm -hmm. So how about instead of looking at wealthy countries having to pay poor countries for effect on climate change, how about all the countries have to pay the countries to help them live longer and have a more enjoyable life, right? Let's just flip that around. Let's talk about the people. Let's not talk about the climate. What has impacted the people for the best? I promise you a warmer climate where you can grow more food, where you have greening of the crops, where you're able to have prosperity is much more beneficial to mankind than a cold, stark, austere relationship where you can't grow food, where you can't get water. Where you have fertilizer. Where you have fertilizer. That's a good point. Where it hasn't been banned. Yeah. Which, by the way, if you don't know this, folks, 60% of the world is fed with fertilizer made from the ammonia stripped from natural gas. But 90% of the cost of fertilizer is that exact ammonia. So this whole article, I want to laugh, but I can't because this is serious. You have people sincerely thinking that wealthier nations need to pay for damages to poor nations, and there's no damage. It's The earth is a better place. It's a much greener, much more hospitable place to mankind now than it was 500 years ago. So this is, once again, the ridiculousness. And they're doing this page in a time where we're heading into a global recession. I'm 100% convinced right now. And we're doing this in a time when the world has an energy shortage like it's never experienced before. How do you think they all got to Germany? They flew in a plane. Yeah. How much more hypocritical can you get? I know. I mean, literally, how much more hypocritical? So once again, and I'm not picking political sides. Once again, both political sides don't understand the reality of the situation, don't care about making sure they take care of the people that they're sworn to protect, and care more about what they look like on social media and you know what they can do to make sure they get reelected next time. This just needs to be thrown out, and it won't be. Yeah. I mean, we're already in a recession here, so... All right, so the next one is large crude draw adds to bullish sentiment. Yeah, so definitely bullish in the oil and gas industry. I've been saying this since last year. We're on a 10-year bull run. We're going to struggle with hiring people and getting parts and pieces, but there's going to be an enormous demand for hydrocarbons for at least the next 10 years, and we're not going to be able to meet that demand, which is good for our industry. No matter what's going on with politics, no matter what's going on with public opinion, the market always has a much bigger hammer in the mix than either one of those. Right. Once again – 
you know, the Department of Energy released a little over five and a half million barrels from the petroleum reserve in a week. Paige, you know how many millions of barrels we burn in a day here? 20. 20? 20 million barrels a day times seven, and they released five, right? Once again, it does nothing to the price of anything other than it reduces our ability for our military to make sure they can fund themselves. Do they think we're stupid? Yeah. And the truth is, once again, I'm not picking on either political side. Both sides literally don't understand how this industry works. Right. Both sides thought. That's agreeable. Thought that when we need it to increase production, somebody goes and flips a switch somewhere and oil just magically comes <laughs> out the ground. Both sides thought that, oh, yeah, we know we shut down these refineries during COVID, but to start them back up, you just plug it in and it starts running no. again. No. Neither side understands how this industry works. And unfortunately, neither side really understands market dynamics, although one side understands less about market dynamics than the other side. Yeah, that's um, true. But anyway, this is, once again, just a ridiculous story of basically this is a PR stunt that's damaging our ability to respond as a nation if something bad happens. And so it's like we're being set up to fail. I hope not, Paige. You know, if we would have had this conversation in 2019, I would have go, stop that. That's one of those conspiracy theories that just starts rumors. Yeah, but how many conspiracy theories have come true lately? I'm just throwing that out there. What I'm telling you is I'm taking your point as a good point because so many things have happened that it's hard to believe a lot of stuff's a coincidence. Once again, I'm not going down the conspiracy route. I do know that a lot of this is to make sure that during the midterm elections, they maintain, the Democrats maintain some type of control. It will be interesting to see what happens after the midterm elections. And quite frankly, I can't wait. Yes. Yeah. Let's get there. All right. So <laughs> speaking of Germany, Russia cuts gas supply to German energy giant Uniper even further. Yeah. So Russia said, hey, sorry, Uniper in Germany. We lost a compressor. And so we can't give you the gas that contractually we applied to. We all know what this is. This is Russia going, I dare you. This is what's going to yeah. happen. Winter's coming. Watch how easy I can devastate your population, mm-hmm. right? And there is the truth that they did lose a compressor and they did have to ship it to Canada to get repaired, but they have backups. They don't tell me they don't have backups. <laughs> the other thing that's interesting in this story that nobody talks about is Uniper all of a sudden got a huge influx of cash from the German government. Why is the German government putting cash into a company that is one of the few that is buying Russian gas right now? Huh. I can tell you why. Well, yeah. They no. have to keep their people warm. Yeah. Right? And they have to provide electricity. So even though publicly they're saying that they're boycotting Russia oil and gas and also materials and all the sanctions because of the invasion of Ukraine, they're doing an end around. They're basically putting money in another company that can buy the Russian gas, even though Germany says we're not the touching The workaround. Yeah, end around. So – this is, once again, politics as usual. The only good thing in all of this is that it makes me realize that our politics aren't as bad as, as – they're all kind of – they're all bad, actually. <laughs> they're not worse than anybody else. But you know, right now, the estimate is about one out of every six German companies are going to go bankrupt if they can't get natural gas supply back to where it, should, where it was before all this start happened because the price of electricity is going to be so high. And also, they're driving up the price of natural gas. They can't get enough natural gas, so they want to buy more of it. There's not enough natural gas in the market, so the price of natural gas goes up, right. which then, that's a global commodity, which then affects the rest of the world, prices of natural gas. So this is a mess. In Germany, I've been to your country several times. I love your country. I love your people. This is what happens when you let your politicians convince you that you need to have an interwind program and to look at other ways to power your society too fast, too quick, without understanding basic physics, science, and markets. All right. Ukraine accuses Gazprom of sharply hiking gas pipeline pressure. Now, 
Once again, it's Russia being a bully. Now, I had to laugh at this, one, although this one's really wrong. You know what happens if you all of a sudden crank up the pressure in a natural gas pipeline? No. Seals let loose, valves blow, pipes crack. Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. They're destroying other countries' infrastructure. And they're going to go, oopsie, we didn't know <gasps> that the pressure was going up, right? Oh, no. This is Russia once again going, this is what's going to happen this winter if you don't toe the line, right? You don't accidentally increase pressure. In today's world, that does not happen. No. It's not an accident. Now, this is, now, Gazprom's saying it was an accident, but it was not an accident. How do you accidentally do that? You don't accidentally right. do that, right? So anyway, and so here's the other thing. Now, pipeline people, correct me if I'm wrong, the pressures that the pipelines are built to are a certain standard, and you don't want to go below that, and you don't go above that. This went twice above what most pipelines <gasps> that are in their network are designed to handle. Now, there's usually a 25% safety factor. They went 200% Holy of that. Holy moly. Yeah. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Because of this pipeline network coming from gas promise in a lot of parts of the world where they don't report leaks, where they don't have HS&E programs, where they don't have environmental protection agencies, and when they have a leak or spill, they just don't report it, we'll never know how much infrastructure this actually damaged, right? No kidding. So this is this close to warfare. And then let me tell you what else happened. So we talked earlier in the previous story about the compressor that accidentally failed, right? Yeah. That compressor, the replacement part of that compressor is actually in Canada being repaired. It's one of the few closest like repair places for it, where Canada said, we're not sending it back. We're not going to send it back because it's UK and a Russian thing. Well, Germany reached out to Canada and said, y'all got to send it back. And Canada said, okay. So Canada's own politicians who said they're not going to support this war in Ukraine, that they're going to support the sanctions, allowed Germany to pressure them to return this turbine that should have been held under sanctions. So it's getting really messy. And if you read this article, you won't see any of this. You got to put pieces and parts together like I did. So on one side, I see the world's politicians talking about the need to move to renewable clean energy to keep the planet from burning up, which is not true. On another side, I see them doing whatever they can to keep hydrocarbons flowing because they know it's they know it's the best way to get reelected. So people, if you're listening to this and you vote, I don't care where you are in the world, understand what's going on. We're being manipulated by politicians on both sides. That's not good for us. It's not good for our children. It's not good for the planet. We need to end this. Yeah, no kidding. Bunch of malarkey. Okay. OPEC Plus is now 2.84 million BPD below its oil production target. Wait, OPEC. I thought you said you could increase production anytime you want it. <laughs> I've been saying for two years now they can't. They're tapped out. And not only they tapped out because there wasn't investment in looking for new reserves and new investments in war-torn infrastructure, this decline rate's going to continue. Not sure where it's going to go. You know, OPEC's still doing, you know, over two and a half million barrels per day. The world needs much more than that. If our own, and I hate to keep talking politics. Um, Mark, this is all we have. I know. I'm sorry. But this is, once again, this week, this is what's most impacting our industry. If our own politicians would get out of our way, the U.S. could fix this for the world in a year, in 18 months, right? But our own politicians are talking on one side of their mouth, doing something different. So we can't increase production to help with the shortage from OPEC. And quite frankly, there's not much else the world can do. Now, if we enter this recession, which I'm convinced we're in or we're heading toward, the slowdown caused by the loss of jobs will be less people flying, less people driving. So it may actually help prices both in crude, natural gas, and the pump, but at the expense of people's welfare, right? Yeah. And I've said this before, and I hope and pray I'm wrong about this. But people, not in poor countries, but in Europe and the U.S., some people are going to have to choose this winter on feeding their kids or putting fuel in their cars so they can go to work. Nobody should ever have to make that choice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and according to the definition of recession, it's two consecutive. GDP drops. 
in, in a quarter. Yeah. No, in a month. No, two no, quarters. Two quarters, two quarters right, 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 right. And we're there. Yeah. So. So hold on, people. Yeah. For people in the oil and gas industry, we're going to thrive yeah. in this. But the rest of the world isn't. Yeah, unfortunately. All right. Turbine trouble could cause further gas supply shortage in Europe. Man, this is none of this is good news. <laughs> no, wait, it just keeps getting better. This should make a good movie, a good spy movie. So now this turbine that Russia said was the reason they stopped flowing gas to Germany that was sent to Canada to be repaired, and Russia said they didn't have a backup, which I know is not true. I mean, everybody has a spare tire in their car. If you're a gas pipeline company, you have backup compressing turbines, right? Well, then Canada said they weren't going to return it because of the sanctions with Ukraine, but they did anyway because Germans said, will you please do it? Now, <laughs> now this repair termite is coming from Canada back to Russia for the Nord Stream pipeline, but it's being delayed. It's going to Russia or Germany? Because I thought earlier you said it was going back to Germany. No, it's going to Russia. The turbine's in Russia, but it pushes natural gas uh, gotcha, to gotcha. Germany. Okay, right? gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So Siemens was the company I was talking about that was the only one that was close enough to repair it in Canada. But <laughs> now it's saying that Gazprom is having issues with Siemens over documentation. Now, if you remember, Siemens was the company that was not having a good year, not having a good quarter, and they pulled all their freaking people and their facilities out of Russia over this Ukraine thing. So here is a private company trying to enforce the sanctions right. that no country wants to do, right? And so Siemens is saying, no, we're not going to give you the documentation because you weren't supposed to get this repair turbine back anyway. So I don't know what to say. So much uncertainty around this. It looks like that pipeline is running about 40% capacity. And remember, folks, we haven't hit winter yet. Here in Texas, our winters are mild. In Germany, the parts of Germany, they're severe, and they need this gas to keep their people warm. Well, except um, for that one time during that whole freeze thing. Yeah, that was Yeah, fun. that we had, that we're not prepared for. That Well, right. that's a perfect example. We lost natural gas supply. Right. How quick did it take for us to lose electricity because we'd have enough natural gas in Texas? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, then Vladimir Putin said, hey, with all this other stuff going on, one more thing. We may have to cut gas even further to Europe because we probably need to do some maintenance this time of year. So once again, this is Russia doing everything it can to threaten Europe because Europe depends on the natural gas supply to, to provide electricity and, and to heat their homes. This is just getting ridiculous. You know, countries are caving in and it's a shame when you read this article that it's taken a private country to try to like make sure things are okay. I don't know where this is going to go, people. It's not going to be pretty. I suspect that right about the beginning of winter in Europe that Ukraine and Russia will come to some type of treaty. Basically, Russia will probably get some land from the Ukraine. Both sides, they will declare victory. But the next thing we have to worry about is what's going on with China and Taiwan, right? So it's just one thing after another. But everybody that works in the oil and gas industry, especially your young folks who see all this uncertainty and hear this talk of recession, our industry is going to be rock solid. Yeah. What's probably going to happen to our industry is more of our operations going to move outside the U.S. because of the political uncertainties. Nobody in their right mind, including myself, would build a refinery in the U.S. right now. You're crazy to do that. You don't know if you're going to be able to run it or not. You go build it in South America where they welcome you in, then you, right. you, it yeah, makes yeah, business yeah. sense. So with all that said, what's the weekly recount? Well, actually, here's some freaking good news. U.S. is at 767, up nine. Canada is at 204, up nine as well. Internationally, we're at 824 and up seven. Told you, you work in the industry at the right place. Also, the right place is the Canon. You want a co-working place to go hang out, walk up the front desk, say you're a friend of OGGN, they give you a day pass for free. It's really cool. It's also where we do all of our mixers. And then, folks, I want to make sure I explain this, what's going on. If you've looked at your podcast player of choice, you've seen episodes of Behind the Curtain of Oil and Gas this week, and you see that you have to pay for it. This is what happens 
after Paige and I turn off the microphone for this show and we just kind of talk about stuff, kind of riff on stuff. So you're not missing any news articles. You're not missing any commentary. What you're missing is something that normally we put on the show. Anyway, we love our audience. We're never going to make you pay for it. That's why we have a sponsor for the show. Also, if you want to pay for buying the curtain to listen to what's going on, you also get a unique content. I have a new show that's launched called The Balance Point. And basically, Paige, I'm inviting people on that don't like the oil and gas industry to talk about it. Now, here's the funny thing. Do you know how many organizations I've reached out to? Greenpeace, 350.org, Sierra Club. You want to know how many of them have agreed to come on my show? Two. Zero. Huh. Imagine that. If you follow me on LinkedIn, I run across people that on LinkedIn are posting things that are anti-oil and gas. And I very politely ask them to come on my show. And they always reply, yeah, I want to do it. And then when I go to schedule it, you get ghosted. I get ghosted. So literally, (laughs) I am having a shortage of people that don't like the oil and gas industry come on the show. However... The ones I do have on the balance point have been really good. It's not where I'm going to chastise somebody or, you know, really come down on hard. I really have a deep discussion. I've had the head of climate science, David Gold with IBM, although that's not what his IBM title is. He actually taught me some stuff. I had Nico Johnson on who runs the equivalent of OGGN Network. Aren't y'all re- like besties now? On the renewable side, yeah. And I thought him and I were going to have these huge disagreements. He learned a lot from me. I learned a lot from him. We're literally like best friends. So you want to check out the balance point. It's included with the behind the curtain subscription. Go check it out. I'm having a lot of fun there. Now, warning, if you have children, the balance point and also behind the curtain are explicit. So make sure you're listening to headphones. Uh, Apparently me cussing is funny. Yeah. People love the fact that Paige cuss. Um, (laughs) You know what else people love? Joining our OGGN page. Yeah. I just had somebody today reach out wanting to know how to make sure they stay on top of what we're doing. I said, go join the OGGN page. So if you're listening, you haven't done it, go do it. And then while you're out there, go ahead, go to the website, sign up and ask a question. If you want to be mentioned on the first Friday Q&A, we have the monthly All I Guess Events newsletter. It goes out free. Sign up for that as well. And if you want myself or any of our experts to come to your organization, your group, your company picnic, whatever. We could do keynotes, live podcasts. It's always a ton of fun. Oh, that was a lot today. Yeah. You ready to get out of here? Yeah. All right, folks. Remember, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.